You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to conference coverage highlights from the Alliance for Continuing Medical Education 35th Annual Conference held January 27th through 30th in New Orleans. I'm your host, Lawrence Sherman, Senior Vice President of Educational Strategy at Prova Education in Fort Washington, Pennsylvania. Now joining us is Dr. Alejandro Aparicio from the American Medical Association. Morning, Al. Good to see you. Good morning. Good to see you, too. We're talking to folks here at the meeting about what the practicing physician needs to know and understand about CME. Now, you can bring an interesting perspective to this, both as a physician and representing a very large physician organization, the American Medical Association. So let's start out with a really broad question. What do you think practicing physicians need to know about CME? I think what's critical for physicians is to understand that the array of possibilities for education after residency has increased significantly the past few years. I mean, I think physicians have always valued continuing medical education, but I don't think there has been enough information that has percolated through the profession about performance improvement, CME, internet point of care, and a lot of the other new formats that are closer to the patient-physician interaction and can impact even more than the more traditional forms which do impact patient care. So I think that's probably the most critical part. I think physicians value CME, particularly they value the fact when there's credit associated with it, they know there's a sort of good housekeeping seal of approval on those CME activities. Having said that, one of the things that I think will be very helpful in the future is the increased use of technology electronic medical records with registries that allows us to have a better idea of what is happening with our patient, whether it be at the practice level or at the hospital level, the long-term care facility, any of the different sites of care. And having that information will help us develop better CME activities and help us really help physicians help their patient, which is what physicians want to do. I mean, that's what we're about. Let me ask you this to sort of sum it up. Is there anything else you'd like to say about where CME is today and where it's going tomorrow? The profession, starting with AFP in 1948, uh, AMA in 1968, AOA in 1971, has stated always that continuing medical education is critical for the development of physicians. The Council of Medical Education of the AMA, for example, has worked very hard to continue to evolve the credit system over time so that it addresses the needs of physicians and patients and will continue to do so. We have the additional advantage that it's not only a firmly held belief that this is the case, the value of CME, but we have lots of studies that have proved that now. And I think what we'll have in the future is a further integration. I'm hoping that's what we'll have, further integration of all the requirements, whether it's joint commission, certification, licensure, everything's coming together, including the federal government and insurance regulations, to say this is valuable, we will accept this because we're all working towards the same goal, and the tools that we have in place right now are showing that it's working. All right. I saved the most provocative question for the end, Al, because I didn't want you to get mad at me and run away at the beginning. What do you think the role of commercial support is in CME looking forward? You know, that's a very difficult question, as you know, and it's a question that the professor has been grappling with in multiple places. It is a problem because there's multiple facets to it. Commercial support is one issue, but personal conflicts of interest is another issue. And quite honestly, a lot of times in many meetings and in many conversations, the two get mixed in together. 
and the effects of each one get confused. So it's going to take a thoughtful conversation, which is being had in the profession, whether it's the Council on Ethical and Judicial Affairs of the AMA, and discussion, a very robust discussion at the House of Delegates of the AMA, or whether at the Joint Committee for Continuing Medical Education, led by CMSS, having a conversation on this topic, or the IOM reports. I think it's important for everyone to be engaged in the conversation, not only for the sake of the profession, but so that the public understands and trusts what the profession is doing with commercial support and with relationship with industry, which have provided a lot of benefits in many ways, but the issue of the trust needs to be taken into account as we move forward. Al, it's always fun to talk to you. Good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Good to see you. Thank you very much. Now joining us is Maureen Doyle-Scarf from Pfizer. Hey, Maureen, how are you? Good. Thanks, Lawrence. We're talking to folks here today to find out what they should really understand about CME from our perspective and how it's going to impact the way medicine is practiced today and tomorrow. So what do you think top-level practicing physicians need to know about CME? It's a good question. I think fundamentally they should know that CME shouldn't be viewed as a commodity or something where they just collect credits because they have to meet some type of regulatory standard licensure privileges or whatnot, that really good quality medical education that is developed and designed to meet a need that they have can help them improve their practice and improve the care that they provide to their patients. So it's really an awareness issue. Yeah. So you have the opportunity to see a lot of CME activities in all formats. You want to give me a sense of what you think the quality of the CME that's available today is across the board? Yeah, there's a lot of really good education taking place out there that is based, as I said, on true need, designed to apply to different types of learning styles that physicians have and so on and so forth. But there is an awful lot of education that is designed and developed just for the sake of developing education. And I don't believe that the average practicing physician can distinguish between the two. Part of our challenge, I think, with continuing medical education in this country is that when education is certified, there is an expectation on behalf of the physicians that that is, you know, in some way, shape, or form, a good housekeeping seal of approval. All that really means is that the provider followed a very general construct to develop education that quite honestly, although we're getting better at this, I think as a collective CME community, is not really based on quality. So how does the practicing physician who's evaluating the CME course offerings that they're going to participate in select the best possible education for their personal needs? This is a bias, uh, no pun intended in this community right now, but a bias on my part in that education needs to start at the local level. Docs who participate and attend these big, massive, national, one-size-fits-all activities are going to get just that, a one-size-fits-all education opportunity that was designed for an average person, not that doc with his or her patient profile and portfolio and the like. So start at the local level, start with the hospital that you are working with or working in, start with some of your local associations and whatnot, and start asking questions. Ask them questions about what are you doing to meet my needs? How do I know that the education that you're producing is really based on what I need to improve my practice and improve the care I provide my patients? So you're really looking at active participation, self-assessment, knowing what their own needs are. I think 
that falls under professionalism, in my opinion. I think every physician has a responsibility to reflect upon and embrace the notion of lifelong learning with less time, more demands on a physician's practice and life, and more information being generated on a daily basis than ever in the history of medicine, you can't afford to take that responsibility lightly. So yeah, you have to be involved, you have to be engaged. Physicians who own their learning portfolio and understand where those needs are, are the ones who are really going to be able to leverage continued medical education in a way that helps them and helps their practice. I can't let you leave without asking you what you think the impact of commercial support is on CME and what would happen if suddenly there was no commercially supported CME. On the positive side, the impact of commercial support on CME is it has enabled providers to do more, to invest in technologies, to invest in innovation, to not run their CME programs on a shoestring, but to supplement those budgets with industry funding to, again, advance CME, but also advance our collective desire to produce high-quality education that is going to make an impact in some capacity. Quite frankly, if it went away, the challenges that are currently tied to commercial support, like conflicts of interest and bias and so on and so forth, won't disappear. They'll still be here. I would hate to see commercial support go away and then everybody finds out oh, wow, well, that wasn't the problem. Now we got to fix it some other way. I can't leave without saying that I think that the fiscal financial responsibility in part should lie on the shoulders of the healthcare professionals. I do not believe that the pharmaceutical or device industry should be shouldering the burden to 100% of physician continuing professional development. That's a professional issue on behalf of docs. I think we need to look more at partnerships and collaboration. Everyone has a stake in this, and everyone should have something on the table. Is there anything else you'd like to add about CME and its impact on the practicing doc? I would only add that it works when it's done right and when everyone, including the physician learner, takes it seriously. It has a phenomenal impact on patient care. We should all just keep paying close attention to that and work backwards from that endpoint to try to improve the enterprise of CME and avoid a lot of it disappearing, which I don't believe that would be in the best interest of patients. Maureen, it's always good to talk to you. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Lawrence. Now joining us is Dr. Joseph Kim from Medical Communications Media. Hey, Joe, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Glad to be here. Let me put you on the spot, Joe. If you had to predict the future of CME... What would you say is going to happen? Where's the evolution going to happen? Boy, that's a pretty loaded question. I definitely feel that there are going to be fewer private education companies in this whole CME enterprise. Uh, I think that universities and associations and different specialty societies are going to continue looking for strategic partnerships. And so in that sense, the companies that continue in those types of roles will continue to have an opportunity to have a, a role in CME. But in my mind, I think that we're going to start seeing a lot of experimentation going on. I think we're going to see things happening with pooled funding, for instance. I think we're going to see different models being explored by various commercial supporters. And this year, in particular, might be a year where we see a lot of experimentation to see, you know, what's going to work, what's not going to work. And at the end of the day, is there really a difference based on a lot of the discussions that have taken place 
Or is it primarily just driven by opinions and perception? Or at the end of the day, will we actually have data to say that, you know what, doing it one way is actually better than doing it a different way? Joe, along those lines, I happen to know you come from a two-physician household, so both you and your wife are physicians. She's a practicing physician. You're a medical education provider. Do you talk about CME, and does she share with you what she thinks some of the needs are as far as types of CME that she'd like to see? We definitely talk about it quite a bit. Having been in this industry now for quite a few years, my perspective on this whole thing has changed over the years. And for her, as she's grown in her practice and in her professional abilities to practice as a physician, her educational needs have evolved as well. You know, there have been times when we've gone to national meetings together, uh, national CME events, primarily because she's attending and we may be distributing some educational content there. From her perspective, there are several things that I keep hearing. One is that she wants the education to be more at the point of care. The second thing is that she's looking for shorter CME activities. She doesn't really have that time to sit and listen to an entire lecture. And probably the third thing is that at the end of the day, my guess is that lots of people out there, lots of practicing healthcare professionals, they're looking for a way that they can just search for something. So for instance, if she needs to learn how to perform a joint injection, she just wants to have access to some kind of a database where she can just put in certain search terms and immediately get the information that she needs. So those are probably some of the main things that we talk about. Is there anything you'd like to add that I haven't covered or asked about? I just walked out of a session this morning uh, regarding social media and how that impacts CME. And I think that Right now, it's a hot buzzword, you know, this whole social media buzzword, and, and especially as we uh, get into 2010, I think we're going to hear more about it. I'm curious to know what your thoughts are as to, you know, the role of social media when it comes within these confines and the very strict regulatory guidelines of CME. What do you think is going to happen there? Well, I had a presentation at the CME Congress in 2008 and a follow-up at the Med 2.0 presentation. Social media was really covered in depth and its role in CME, sort of CME 2.0. And I think that there's a need and a role for social networking and social media at every point in the CME continuum, from needs assessment to activity promotion, activity delivery, and activity evaluation. As that evolves as an important communications tool, I think we'll see it incorporated in different aspects of CME. Yeah, and I definitely agree with you. I think that in general, physicians tend to be kind of delayed adopters of technology. And because of that, I've noticed that many of them really don't embrace social media. And therefore, I think they're really missing out on opportunities where their education can really be enhanced. Joe, I enjoyed talking to you today, even when you turned the interview around and asked me a question. So uh, thanks for joining us today. Sure. Thanks, Lawrence. This has been conference coverage highlights from the 35th Annual Alliance for CME Conference. I'm Lawrence Sherman on ReachMD XM160. ReachMD online, on demand, and on air. Visit us at ReachMD.com, and thank you for listening.